Amazon has everything for back to school. Zebra lunchbox? Check. Cool Adidas gear like t-shirts, shoes, and backpacks? Check. Triceratops folders and pencils? Check. Laser cat t-shirts? Check. Get your back-to-school shopping done now at Amazon.com slash back-to-school and enjoy free shipping on millions of items. No need to leave your home or hassle with crowds. Amazon.com. No better place to get everything back to school from A to Z. Blog Talk Radio. I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Hello. Hello, everyone. It's Thursday night. That means you're listening to Finsider Radio. My name is Keith. I'll be your host for the next 90 minutes or so. Uh, typically, I'm with my co-host and co-draft analyst, Duke. Uh, he's not in yet, so uh, as soon as he gets in, we'll hear a little bit more from him. We have a very special program for you guys this evening. We're going to talk about the latest in the Dolphins' search for a new GM. I believe there may have been a few developments with that story this afternoon. All good news, of course. We'll talk a little bit about the Senior Bowl and the prospects who really dominated this week. Some Dolphins-approved prospects in there, I believe. And we'll talk about next month's NFL Combine and what you, loyalists of Dolphins fans, should be on the lookout for when things kick off in Indianapolis in late February. Uh, Best of all, we'll talk about Whatever it is you want to discuss, all you got to do is call us here, 347-326-9461. We'll take calls throughout the show. You can call in at any time, and James, the show's producer, will get you hooked up. Say hello, James. Hello. It's just for Right now, it's you and me, just, uh, just the Chris, duo Chris here. Is, uh, Chris is actually in the house. Chris, reveal yourself. Yeah. He's good. Happy almost Friday, buddy. Hey. All right. Um, okay, so while we wait for our first few callers, let's address the elephant in the room. That would be the Dolphins GM search, which took quite the left turn this afternoon. Uh, we went from expecting the team to, well, eventually name Ray Farmer, the, the uh, new general manager. He was at least expected to be the uh, one of the finalists, and then it came out that Within an hour, he was going to announce whether he would pursue a second interview with the team, which was, in my opinion, a bad sign right off the bat. And then, sure enough, an hour later, and reports start to come out that Ray Farmer will not accept the second interview and will not be the next general manager of the Miami Dolphins and will instead stay in Cleveland, where he served last season. Um, I but the thing is, though, is that now you've got reports coming out that he hasn't made his decision. He has, he hasn't. Uh, a lot of people saying that, I mean, it's a done deal. Uh, some people suggest that he hasn't made up his mind yet. Uh, as is typically the case with a lot of these things, we really don't know because we don't have the Dolphins uh, in our in our phones. We can't call them. We don't know what the hell is going on right now. So, Duke, uh, tell me, what do you think is going on at this point in time? Because you got a lot of people freaking out. I don't think it's anywhere near necessary to do that at this point. But people are starting to flip. They think we're almost back to that Miami is a toxic location uh, 
concept that that we went through a few years ago. So, I mean, what do you think of all this? Uh, well, uh, I think that uh, to use one of my favorite quotes, I think it's I'll have truths and great love at this point. I mean, we don't know a whole lot right now, and uh, I would quote uh, Jules Winfield at this point, but I'm not going to say that, but I'll paraphrase and Fans just need to chill the freak out. I guess that's a good way to put it. I mean, the the thing is, we were we were hearing about how for right around the time we hired Blazer last week, it was uh, it, it was that we were looking at Brian Sanders and how that guy was the favorite, and how we were pursuing a second interview with him, and how a lot of people thought that was a done deal. Then, I mean, he doesn't even make the final candidate list, and, and Farmer supposedly does, and then Farmer doesn't want to take the job. Uh, it came out yesterday that, or it might have been the day before, I'm forgetting right now, when uh, Jeremy Light was hired by the, the Buccaneers, the story comes out that we tried to dissuade him from taking that job and uh, in turn tried to hire him right before he took the, the Bucks uh, GM gig. Reports came out that that might not have been the case either and that uh, that uh, whole issue might have been uh, trumped up considerably. So now we're at a point where a lot, a lot of people think, uh, provided that this is all true, that we're going to go back to, to Brian Brian Gain, who many whom many people thought was going to be the guy uh, initially when we, when we came to Ireland a little over two weeks ago. Some people think that Lake Dawson might be the guy. And uh, I saw a couple of uh, reports online suggest the fact or bring up the fact that Lake Dawson was drafted by Carl Peterson, who whom is an advi you know, who is an advisor in this this whole circus act right now. So really I don't know. And the the main reason for that is there's just a lot of misinformation, a lot of a lot of information going through sources right now. I don't know what's true. I don't know what isn't. Um, I'm I'm not sure, but I one person who might be sure is uh, Dolphins fan for life wants to call and he wants to tell us about his uh, his own farmer theory. So Dolphins fan for life, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Good, hey, welcome to the show. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Good. Tell us about this theory you have. Well, you know, with all this he said, she said, and all this other stuff, one of the theories that I thought was, you know, the Cleveland Browns could have very well leaked that out there because, I mean, you know, Farmer says he didn't tell them that, this. Um, the Cleveland Browns supposedly tell somebody that, hey, uh, he said he's staying, yada, yada, yada. Being that he's a finalist and I mean, he's highly regarded. I mean, Cleveland could have leaked this out just to kind of, like, sway them off of, you know, reaching for a second interview because maybe they're trying to keep him for themselves, you know? Yeah. I mean, I agree. There's so many moving parts right now. It's bizarre, you know? And the thing is, I keep coming back to the fact that it was supposedly a done deal with Laser going to Detroit, and we thought we were completely up a creek. 
because then then McAdoo takes the the Giants gig, and we're like, well, you know, what are we going to do here? And then it comes out that no, I mean, Lasers go to Miami. Uh, so I don't know if this will turn out that way, but I, I think the, the overall message is you really can't rule anything out at this point. Anything could happen. It could be good. It could be bad. I don't know. But, I mean, I can't rule anything out. Yeah, I mean, it, it just kind of, like, hit me because, you know, like you said before, the whole laser thing, he was supposedly definitely going to Detroit, and that's something I thought of. So I was pretty much like, okay, pretty much Ray Farmer is going to be the Dolphins GM by Monday if we hold true to form, which was what my first opinion was. What I find funny, though, is, you know, for all intents and purposes, the one who seems to be the most right in all this seems to be Armando, <laughs> whom nobody really likes. I mean, I don't like him. I, I pretty much banned, like, all of the, you know, Miami Dolphins news you may have missed. I never click on it whenever it says that it's an article by him. But I just find it funny, you know, that he's the one quelling the storm while everybody else is saying this, that, and the other thing. Usually, it's not him. Well, yeah, no, it's funny you bring that up because last week he was the one kind of stirring it, bringing up the fact yeah. that uh, the reason I, you know, ultimately it was Philbin and Aponte working against Ireland, and then I mean, it, pre- I mean, pretty much the dam broke. And it was irreparable, and now it's going to it's going to create problems because there's a there's a a power struggle going on. Uh, real quick, Ethan J seventy eight, a good friend of the site, and I believe one of my good friends on Twitter, brings up uh, Gain Brian Gain, and whether he'll be well received by the anti Ireland crew because he was a guy who was trained by Ireland. I've seen quite a few reports suggest that Gain is actually a well respected dude. In the in NFL circles, whereas I mean you can draw your own conclusions um, in, in terms of Ireland. I mean the we always see stories coming out that some people liked them, some some people couldn't stand the guy. Everything I've read suggests that Brian Gain Brian Gain is a well-respected guy in the NFL community. So I don't know. I mean he he'd have to have a good draft right off the bat, which seems kind of unfair. But let me, let me throw in something there that. <clears throat> There's a couple things about Jeff Ireland that I think fans didn't like. Number one was he, he came off as kind of uh, kind of a prick. You know, you've got the whole uh, Des Bryant story, and then you know the fan who came up to him in the stands, which was you know the only thing. But he kind of had this. You kind of got this idea from him that he was just like this uh, kind of a jerk. And then you've got a lot of people don't like him because they say, well, he didn't build a talented team, which. In my opinion, I think we have a good enough team that we can make the playoffs. Uh, we I agree. didn't, and so I think there's talent there. If you're going to hold it against Brian Gain because well he served under Ireland, how many good GMs have been in the league that have served under someone else that maybe wasn't as good? I mean, we kind of automatically assume, hey, that guy worked for Baltimore Ravens. He worked for Ozzie Newsom. He's going to be just as good. But for all we know, whoever that person may be may not have the same eye for talent that Newsom has. Um, just because Brian Gain works for Jeff Island does not mean he does not that he has an equivalent eye for talent. Meaning, 
you know, a lot of people are like, we could have had Des Bryant instead of instead of Jared Odrick. Well, how do you know that uh, Brian Gaines is not the kind of guy who says, you know what, that one particular player over there, he's going to be great, and he picks him, and he turns out to be great. We don't know that yet. Um, and, from, you know, what, what we do know is Ireland had kind of the final say on things, so maybe there were times Brian Gaines disagreed with him on things. So, um, you know, I think it's wrong to hold it against him simply because he worked under Jeff Ireland. Because yeah, I agree. You're, you're having to make the assumption that he is just like Jeff Ireland, and he may be for all we know, but we don't know that he's not. We don't know that he's not a a better talent uh, evaluator, uh, a better, uh, you know, someone who comes across better to players. I mean, you know, you know, we kind of always talk about the Ryan Clark stuff, but I think there was some merit, a little bit of merit to it in the fact that I think some some players were kind of put off by Jeff Allen. He, he's just the kind of guy that some some players did not want to deal with. Uh, and you I know, you kind of got that with, <laughs> with the uh, Sage Rosenfels deal when he talks about that. Um, he got on Twitter and by saying, "Well, it's kind of a minor story. It kind of underlies that you know, fans, you know, some of the players didn't like the way Jeff Allen did things." We can't assume that Brian Gain is going to be the same way, and I mean, I think it's just kind of that paranoid fan syndrome where, oh, this, you know, you know, it's, it, it hasn't worked for so long. We're just doing the same kind of stuff, and we don't know that. I mean, for all we know, he may be the greatest GM ever been in the National Football League or ever will be in the National Football League. And if we let him go to another team, then we're going to regret doing that. So, I mean, he, he's a viable candidate, and you cannot. You cannot hold hold it against him just because he works for Jeff Ireland. I, I just think that's wrong. I agree. I think that uh, well, if, if there's one thing I wish Dolphins fans would take a step back and evaluate with uh, as much objectivity as possible, it would be the Des Bryant thing because I honestly feel, and I mean, I have no feelings good or bad toward Jeff Ireland. But I think that, honestly, what he was guilty of there was instead of – because, I mean, the thing is, when you're drafting a guy, you have the right to – I mean, you're getting to know an individual that you're potentially going to pay a lot of money to. And, I mean, you're really putting a lot of your team's hopes on this guy when you draft somebody in the first round. Uh, So when he – so when Des Bryant says that his father is a pimp and his mother works for his father, instead of the obvious question – uh, of is your mother a prostitute? I wish Jeff Ireland would have just asked, well, what does your mother do for your father? Or, you know, instead of just putting it out there immediately. It would have been nice if he could, could have could have gone ahead and maybe slow played that one a little bit to not come off as uh, so brusque, you know. I'll be honest with you. I would have asked Des Bryant the same question. Um, but, you know, people that want to knock that hole, we could have had Des Bryant instead of Jared Odrick. People got to remember two things. Number one, we ended up with Brandon Marshall. Yes, he bailed here, but for the first couple of years, this Brent, I mean, shoplifting, he had to end up with, he didn't really pick up till babysitters started coming into the picture. You know, I mean, when you have to hire guys to get your first round pick to act right, it's kind of. You know, okay, and people that knock the whole the whole Jared Odrick pick, I mean, he's been outplaying 
both of our starting defensive tackles that we're talking about keeping ever since his second season. He has more sacks, about as many tackles as Starks every single year. But he always plays Starks by at least one sack every single season. You go back and you look through. Starks has five sacks. Audric has six sacks. And I want to say that I'm not I'm not disagreeing with that at all. In fact, I agree with that. My my point there, I just want to kind of uh, clarify, is that I use that as an example of fans who think that thought that Jeff Island went for that he kind of went with other things, you know, like like for example, I know this draft it, it, it's kind of there's going to be some fans who are like, we need offensive line really bad. We need help there. And there's going to be some like, not another offensive line draft. Please, not another offensive line draft. And, you know, you, you kind of, you come to this point where people just, you know, there's, there's, they see things that Jeff Ireland did and think he did not try to acquire elite caliber talent or top end talent. He went for, you know, certain players that fit a certain mold or, or a certain type of players regardless of the talent involved. Now, while I agree that Jared Audrey, I, I, I agree that he's a great player. I just, I was using that as an example of fans will say, well, Brian Gain, in other words, they would say, Brian Gain served under Jeff Allen, therefore he's going to draft an offensive tackle in the first round just because. Now, he may or may not. But there will be an assumption that because he worked for Jeff Allen, he's going to operate in the same manner as Jeff Allen or that he's going to do the same, same kind of things that some Dolphins fans don't like. And you you just can't make that assumption. I mean that you just can't. I mean people thought that Jeff Ireland was gonna operate in the same manner as Bill Parcells. When when, you know, Bill Parcells stepped down from you know, being like the guy making the draft picks and the free agency moves and everything else. And we saw there, I mean you know there's some and, things he wouldn't do. Yeah, and, and, I, and I'm going to throw this out there. And I've said it on the side a number of times. GMs are graded by their quarterback. You know, you can draft all the Calvin Johnsons you want. You can draft all the Des Bryants you want. You can draft all these Jimmy Grahams that you want. Those players have – they do not matter when it comes to the general manager. Okay? I mean, the, the, the Cowboys and Des Bryant uh, – the Lions and Megatron did not make the playoffs. Uh, Jimmy Graham did, but that's because of Drew Brees. So, to be fair, it's all about the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And if if things had gone right this year, Miami would have made the playoffs, Jeff Island's still here. I believe in Ryan Tannehill. I think he's going to be a good quarterback. I believe that uh, Laser, Lazor, however you say his name, is going to be a guy that's going to get the most out of him that's going to build an offense that better suits him. Well, you know, we've all complained all year about how uh, the Mike Sherman offense didn't work. We know that he took, you know, a bajillion sacks, all of that stuff. So it does not matter if the GM gets the best receivers, the best running backs, the best defensive ends, whatever other position he's out there. If the new general manager cannot build around Tannehill or – find his own quarterback and build around him, he'll be gone too. It's always about the quarterback. And I know that sounds kind of simplistic, but that's the case. The only reason guys like uh, 
these guys that stay. You look at some of the other drafts. I mean, look at some of the stuff that Bill Belichick's done. He's he's not drafted a quality receiver in years, but he wins because of Tom Brady. So when you have that quarterback, the, the job for the general manager becomes easy. So when you look back at Jeff Island's his kind of his, his reign, he's ultimately going to be judged, I believe, by taking Chad Henney instead of Matt Ryan or Joe Flacco, if you want to go that way. So I think that's where it's going to be judged. If he failed to find that franchise quarterback, I believe if Ryan Tannehill becomes that, they're going to say, well, Jeff Island found him. But, you know, by that time, he would kind of already out, out, you know, worn out his welcome. So, you know, I, I do believe that's how Jeff Island's general manager career will be judged, will be by the 2008 draft, regardless of whether Bill Parcells is here. And that will be the new GM. If he can, if he can bring the pieces in and Ryan Tannehill can be the guy, that general manager will be here as long as Tannehill is. And and I agree that he'll be judged on the Matt Ryan thing, but hindsight is such an incredibly useless tool in that people are going to look at the, the 2008 draft and see that we took Jake Long, who started out great and couldn't stay healthy and eventually walked and uh, signed with the Rams, and then people are going to see that Matt Ryan uh, has had an impressive career with Atlanta uh, not much success in the playoffs, got into the NFC Championship game uh, last year, uh, blew a double-digit, I think it, it was close to a three-score lead, and ended up losing the game. Uh, but there there are two vastly different situations when you're talking about the Dolphins from 2008 onward and the Atlanta Falcons, okay? One of them is the fact that the Falcons have had the same head coach. All right, technically, I think we've had three, if you count the interim. Uh, and I struggle to see, uh, see a scenario in which Matt Ryan comes to Miami and plays under Tony Sperano, and Sperano is still here. I don't think Tony Sperano uh, had the staff, uh, the foresight, or the, the the coaching wherewithal, the talent, to really make it work with Matt Ryan. And never mind the fact that our offensive line uh, would have been terrible, at least – when Matt Ryan went there, he, I mean, the weak link, I think, when he first got there would have been the guy that who went there with him in that first round of that draft, which would have been Sam Baker. But, I mean, he had Tyson Clavo when Clavo was playing well. Uh, he had Todd McClure. Um, I mean, that, and, um, Blaylock, uh, Justin Blaylock was one of them. Uh, he, I mean, he had good players on that offensive line, and as we all know, the Atlanta's skill position guys are outstanding. You know, the fact that Roddy White is, plays second fiddle to anyone is unbelievable because Roddy White's a very good receiver. But, I mean, Julio Jones is just a different animal. And he's had Tony Gonzalez. He's had everything. So, it just – I don't see Matt Ryan going to Miami with the first overall pick in 2008 and him having a, a, a fraction of the success he's had in Atlanta. And, I mean, that's that's indeed the Dolphins' fault. There's been so much changeover and not, or, not enough organizational – stability, uh, lack of uh, just overall sound decisions up top. I mean, the drafting hasn't been bad, but it could have been better. A lot of people will harp on the fact we didn't take Earl Thomas in 2010. Um, people still complain about us taking Ryan Tannehill, and why, I don't understand. But there are people out there who think we blew that pick. We should have taken Luke Keekley. I mean, Luke Keekley's an outstanding player, but Luke Keekley isn't going to play quarterback for us. I, don't, I mean, I just don't see it. Uh, in the middle of my rant, I want to bring up that this is the Finsider Radio Podcast. 
Uh, we want to go ahead and take your calls tonight, 347-326-9461. We'll be taking your calls until, and eh, probably we'll go around 11.30 your guys' time. I'm in Central Time Zone. So uh, so I want to shift this a little bit because we, we've been talking about Farmer and, and why he didn't take the job. So let's look forward now. If you're the Dolphins, what do you do? Because there are candidates still out there. We have Gain, we have Lake Dawson. We keep hearing the four-letter word known as, uh, I believe his name is Dennis Hickey. There are guys out there. What do you do? I think you keep interviewing until you find the the guy you want. I mean, it's that simple. I mean, there there can't be that many general manager positions open. And and let's let's face it here. I mean, it has to be a really, really bad situation for it to be one of 32 premier jobs in in the country, okay? You're, you're not talking about, you know, any other type of job. This is a, a prestigious job that, again, there are only 31 other ones out there that are available. So it has to be a really bad situation for you to say, no, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to take one of those top 32 jobs. Um, especially when it's, it's a a job where you're you're kind of in control of things. I mean, you you are finally the guy that gets to make the draft picks. You're the guy that gets to sign the free agents. You're the guy that gets to make those calls. So, to me, you know, I think the Browns just hired Lombardi last year to be their uh, general manager. So I, I don't think that, in my opinion, I kind of agree with Dolphins fans for life. I think this is kind of a ruse to to kind of keep Farmer in the organization because if I'm Farmer, right, I mean, they would really have done something to tick me off for me not to want to come to Miami. I, I don't care how – I don't care about the situation at quarterback. I don't care about anything else out there. If I'm in that position, if, if Stephen Ross came to my door right now and said, would you like to be your general manager, I'm going to say, absolutely. I don't care about everything else. Why? Because that's one of 32 jobs like that. It's not like my job where there's – Number of them, like your job, where there's numbers of them. Right? There's, there's a very, very highly sought after position. To say you don't want it, to me, says you know, it says either a that the situation is just that bad, which I don't believe it is, or b that you just don't have the ambition. And if you don't have the ambition, you need to get the heck out because I don't want you. So, but uh, you know, whoever these people are, they're going to, you know, it's something that they want. Okay, it's not just like, yeah, i got to be interviewed and maybe I'll take it, I'll think about it. No, you want this job. This is the job that you want. I don't care. I mean, yeah, that's about the only way I can put it. It's just how can, how, can, how can you turn something like that down when, you know, you, how do you know you're ever going to get that opportunity again? Yeah, Especially you may for not. the excuses. The excuses that they're using, like the whole Joe Philbin thing. I believe that that whole scenario is a monster created in its own madness. You have Joe Philbin and Ross steadily saying he's the guy, he's the guy, he's the guy. What people don't really remember is the fact that everybody was quoting as Sherman was actually calling the shots. Uh, Ireland was actually doing this, and everybody was taking the focus off of Joe Philbin's leadership qualities and everything else saying, okay, well, 
perhaps Sherman was calling the shots. Now, yada, 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 he's got to go. So now you have everybody thinking that Philbin cannot run an organization and that he doesn't deserve to be a head coach. Because why? His offensive coordinator had to call the shots. So what the what do you do in that scenario? You, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something about that. Is I believe that Stephen Ross will stay behind Joe Philbin if Joe Philbin wins. But, I mean, let's not make it like the, you know Joe Philbin and Stephen Ross are, are you know golfing buddies or something. All right. So the new general manager, they you know we we it's been posted on the site that there have been plenty of times that a general manager is introduced to uh, with a coach already in place. And there's a lot made well, he won't be able to pick his own coach. Yeah, that may be the facts, but what if that guy goes out and gets some premier talent? Okay, let's say he goes out uh, in this year and he, let's say he picks up some great skill position players and drafts some great players. And, and Miami has all the talent in the world and they finish 5-11. and 11. Do you think Stephen Ross is going to be, look, GM, all right, I know you're the guy, but Joe Philbin's my guy, so you can't get rid of him. No. He's going to say, you know what? Just open this time for you to go. It's, you know, new GM, whoever you are, let's pick a coach. All right, that that that's going to be how it works, and and that's just how it that's just how it is. It's not going to be different. I mean, it's not like Ross is going to stick with Philbin, you know, for as long as he owns the team. It, it, it's going to, you know, if Philbin turns the team around and they win next year, then who cares? General manager certainly won't care. Um, yeah, it's just going to make his job even easier. So, you know, in my opinion, that whole thing about the new general manager not getting to pick his coach. That's only good for this year. I mean, it, it really is because if, if Philbin wins, then the gym, everyone will be happy. If Philbin doesn't win, then Stephen Ross won't be happy. And guess what? Stephen Ross will probably make the call to get rid of Philbin. And then the Eugene gets to pick his own head coach, and then all this other stuff that was made up that all these beat writers and everybody is trying to put out on, on the Internet and everything to stir up the dust. Me is, is completely meaningless at this point. Which, if I was the general manager, I would ask Stephen Ross if, if it's at all possible. If he made me GM, the first thing I would try to do is just fire everybody in the media. Armando, uh, Omar, everybody, <laughs> you're gone. All right. I'm, 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 very, sending uh, I'm sending you to where I live now in North Carolina. You can handle the paper here. All right. Just get out. Very Charlie really White of you. Uh, Dolphins fans are like, we gotta, we got to move on to our next caller. we got a All lot right. of people who want to talk about the GM thing. Uh, thank you again for calling in, and uh, hopefully we'll hear from you again next week. Yes, sir. All right, buddy. All right, I'm, have a good I'm, night. I don't know why I'm so fired up tonight, but I like it. Uh, yeah, that, that's fine. All right, <laughs> let's go to uh, – well, actually, we need to see what's going on with this business here. Oh, there we go. It was taking up for a second. Let's go to South Florida and our uh, – our good friend, well, I think he's our good friend, Luis. Luis, how are you doing? Yeah, we're buddies. What's up, guys? We are buddies. No, we're good. What are you doing? Okay. Um, the whole Brian Gain is the um, the new general manager front runner thing. I get that. I had this feeling in the pit of my stomach that that was going to be what's going on. But let me ask a question. A few years ago... Um, we went on a general manager hunt and wound up promoting Rick Spielman to the GM position. What was the media saying about Spielman before he got the call-up? Was he considered like he's an up-and-coming guy, he's going to do his job well, like everybody's saying about game now, or was this like a mistake, or was that a mistake from the start? Well, I think that 
uh, the, the big difference between when Spielman got the gig and right now is, I mean, there wasn't any Twitter for us to sit here and speculate about it 24-7. And, and really, I mean, the Internet sports journalism at that point was a far cry from what it is today. So uh, it's something where I remember when uh, when Spielman w- was in there, and I, th- I think the fact that he was kind of overshadowed by the Lonstead era, and he, I'm just kind of a dark time. So I don't think people had as much of a problem with it now. I think another problem with with Spielman uh, is ultimately, I mean, he he's the he's known as uh, the uh, excuse me. I'm actually uh, reading a couple of things right now, and I'm, my brain just actually shot out. But I think a, a lot of people associate the whole t- uh, Jamar Fletcher over uh, Drew Brees thing with him. Uh, so. Um, I mean, really, when you think about the early '90s, or I'm sorry, the early 2000s, and how this team was run—not not the the greatest example of a franchise on a well-oiled machine you're ever going to see—but I don't remember there being really near the the kind of vitriol for for Spielman that we've seen in the last couple of weeks while we wait for a new general general manager to be named. And I don't, also, I, you know, I read something about that with. I think it was Armando actually put out something about that, and he he was talking about you know Brian Game being out there, and one article I read said it would be a bad idea to let him go. And then I think it was Armando or somebody from the Herald said something like you know well you know a couple of years ago blah 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 we let we interviewed some guys and who we hired Spillman and then this other general manager he went on to another team and did great and this other general manager did this other thing so now we're looking at other people are we going to keep Brian Game and I was like. That is such a logical fallacy. It made me want to slap him through the computer screen. Just because something happened once doesn't mean it's going to happen again. <laughs> and that was that was exactly what he was trying to tie in. He's like, if we hire Brian Gaines, the other people we interviewed, they're going to go to other teams and become super duper great GMs, and we're going to be stuck in the same rut again. You cannot. I mean, I understand the thought processes because if you've had a, a mediocre team, a team that's not winning, and you promote from within, you're kind of just keeping the same mediocrity. But, again, it, it doesn't mean that because you don't know what kind of talent evaluator Brian Game truly is. You don't know how much of a say-so he had in in bringing what, the players that on my, the Dolphins right now, you don't know what kind of say-so he had bringing that in. So, for all we know, that guy is the next great GM, and you can't make that connection like he did. And it was, such, it was just such a bad argument, it made me so mad. So, yeah, I mean, I see where you're coming at coming out with that, but I don't, I don't think I mean, it may or may not happen, but I don't think you can make the the same comparison to say that because we did it before, it's going to happen the same way again. Now I'm thinking about the horror show that was the, the Spielman years, because correct me if I'm mistaken, because I want to say when he took the Dolphins job, he was, wasn't he VP of player personnel? And then I want to say eventually he got some, like, senior VP title, and that would have been, I think, right after he he made the uh, the Ricky Williams deal, which uh, still haunts me every day. So, um, and how is that guy still in Minnesota? By the way, what the hell has he done? I mean, I mean, we have people who pummel on our general managers and whatnot. But you look, I mean, I don't look at Minnesota's draft and think like, oh man, like what what a haul there. 
mean, depending on what happens with Cordero Patterson, I mean, that could that could look okay. But <clears throat> well, um, it did swindle. It did swindle Cleveland out of some picks in 2012. <laughs> but Spielman's the GM in Minnesota, or is he like an assistant guy? No, he's a, he's the GM now. He he started out in Minnesota. I think he was a, like with us. He was a VP of player personnel, and I want to say as of a couple of years ago, he's the he's the GM. Go figure. <laughs> well, he did. He got one right with Cordero Patterson. Yeah, I mean, like so he hasn't hit. I mean, you think so about you it. I mean, the, okay, go ahead. Chris, I was just gonna say the Christian Ponder one hurts because there was no reason for him to take Christian Ponder. I think that was with the. Yeah. The the twelfth overall pick in two thousand eleven. There was no reason to use that that selection on him, and I think he took Chris Cook in the second round of two thousand ten, and that guy's a behavior case. So I mean, he had good picks too. I mean, Harrison Smith was a good one. Um, I think uh, a lot of people like uh, Xavier Rhodes, which is funny because we were talking about how Xavier Rhodes was going to play for us, and it ended up not working out. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, I ponder the, I ponder the thought of drafting Ponder. You're right. I uh, when I because I I spent I I actually spent a lot of time scouting the 2011 guys because I was so desperate to get us a quarterback that I was going I looked at Gabbert, um, which I, which I'm not embarrassed to say because after he played that bowl game against Iowa, I mean he was a hot commodity and he declared for the draft. He went from being a nobody. I want to say he was like the number six overall player on scouts uh, on the scouting board. I mean, which isn't saying much. I mean, it. They God knows. I mean, they they overvalue guys all the time. But uh, so Garrett made that huge jump, and I remember looking into him, thinking like, well, all right, this guy threw for like 400 some yards against Iowa, which really isn't saying much. But I remember looking into it, and I like the fact that he was mobile. And whatnot, but I mean the guy. The guy had one speed on his on his throws, and it was a fastball all the time. He wasn't that accurate. Uh, he really wasn't that good at throwing the ball downfield. And I thought his field vision sucked. Uh, so I started looking at Ponder, and my the big thing with Ponder was that he couldn't stay healthy at Florida State. I mean, he had some sort of elbow thing that constantly had to be drained. I mean, the guy was a mess. When he was in there, he wasn't wasn't bad. But, I mean, he didn't have any signature wins. It's not like you look at Ponder's Florida State career and you think, like, man, that guy was unbelievable. Danny Cannell looked like a better quarterback at Florida State than Christian Ponder, you know, more, which is saying quite a bit. And, I mean, so if you liked Ponder's mobility, that's okay. And, like, he, his accuracy was, uh, was spotty at Florida State. The thing is, he couldn't stay healthy, uh, wasn't that big of a guy, it uh, really it didn't have the arm to drive the ball downfield. And it just ended up to really turn me off. I just yeah. couldn't get with it. So I was blown away when he went 12th overall. And, and and looking at the bigger picture, I think we should you know, send a fruit basket or something to those teams that overdrafted those quarterbacks because that meant Miami didn't draft those quarterbacks. Um, you look at Jake Locker, who I think can still be a good quarterback. I think, you know, he had an injury this year, but he was actually playing well before the the injury, so I, I'm not going to rule him out. But, you know, with, with Gabbert and Ponder going off the board beforehand, you know, those teams kind of did us a favor because I have a feeling that Miami would have drafted one of those guys had they been there. Um, so, yeah, thanks. I do We're question seeing... one thing. Oh, oh go ahead. I'll... No, it was a Gabbert. I'm questioning this one thing because 
Gabbert is in a pretty sucky situation there in Jacksonville. How much of it is just Gabbert? I have to wonder. You really have well, to. Well, when I think when you look at it that way, I think you can compare with what Chad Henney has done. Uh, if you look at Chad Henney's uh, career in Miami, what he what talent he had to work with, and then what he went through in Jacksonville. I mean, Chad Henney was more successful in Jacksonville than Gabbert was, and with with the equivalent talent. So. You know, I mean, in my opinion, if it were all talent, uh, if they lacked wide receivers or other other type players, then you would have seen it from Heaney, too. You would have seen a drop-off. But you really didn't. You saw kind of the same Chad Heaney that you saw in Miami. So it tells me that Jacksonville, it wasn't necessarily a bad talent issue. And remember, Heaney played with, with Marshall and had some other, you know, Reggie Bush and had some other players in there, too. So, you know, I... I I think that's Gabbard. I mean, I just think it's the fact that he just, I don't know, just, there's something about it that just didn't click. He's not a, he's not a franchise quarterback. I mean, no, uh, and I understand, I understand that uh, a, maybe like a different situation or a new atmosphere or something can help some of these guys. Uh, and it, you can't necessarily write off every quarterback just because he struggles at one location. But I haven't seen anything out of that guy to suggest that he can he can even put together like a winning season. I don't think he's I don't think he's a winner. I think he struggles with the pro game. I don't think he has a professional skill set. I think he's got a he's got a big arm and he could run. Unfortunately, he's not very good at hitting the people he's throwing at, and he's not very good at identifying the players he wants to throw at. I mean, like it's just a we sit here and we and we listen to get people pick apart Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill does things that Blaine Gabbert couldn't dream of doing. I mean, being able to make your third and your fourth read, uh, having that kind of accuracy to really uh, um, work down um, the the kind of stuff that he's really developed over the middle, the the, the out throws that I mean he was good at uh, coming out of Texas A and M, and I mean, we see people come out now, and some people still say we overdrafted that guy, which blows my mind, but. To that, I say, do you think Cleveland wishes they could have taken him? Because their pick isn't there anymore. I mean, they, yeah. they traded him. He's, he's gone. I mean, they're going yeah, to they're gonna use mean, Indianapolis's late first-round pick to do I don't know what. Probably maybe draft a receiver. I mean, you have to figure they're going to take their quarterback this year. And if it's yeah. Johnny Manziel, I'm fairly certain I would take Ryan Tannehill over Johnny Manziel. Call me a cynic. Yeah, I mean – it's not just the fact. I mean, even even if whoever they draft this year turns out to be a franchise quarterback, it, it, it's not. It's not. That's not the point. The point is that they had an opportunity in 2012 and didn't take it. Uh, to the point they actually traded up, moved up one spot, and gave away picks to get a position that's fairly. Uh, <clears throat> I don't want to say fairly easy to find, but you know, you draft a running back at number three overall. You not only expect him to stay with the team longer than than a you know, two full seasons, but you expect him to be, you know, a a game-breaking elite talent that, that you know, at least when Reggie Bush was taken second overall, he was he was a factor in the receiving game and the return game. I mean, the guy was basically a good slot receiver, nothing else. I mean, the guy did – Trent Richardson was basically like just a, you know, a slightly bigger, slightly faster version of Daniel Thomas, and they, they took him in, at the third overall pick. Now, that's not to say that, you know – And they traded up the spot for him. Yeah, I do. And they, I mean, if you're talking about Trent Richardson, they had the the fourth pick. They traded up a spot just to make sure that they got him. Yeah. So, you know, 
in a sense, they gave away all those picks for for a guy that you know. And and I agree. I think they did. Or I'll say that I think they did. You know, kind of swindle the, the Indianapolis a little bit with with getting another first round pick for him. But I mean, you know, we have a lot of fans that that don't like Ryan Tannehill that think he's not that good of a quarterback. But when you're throwing out the Jason Campbell. Uh, whatever other platter of players that they were throwing out this year. When you look at a guy like Josh Gordon, um, you know, you had uh, Greg Little coming on, uh, Jordan Cameron, I think that's the right guy. Um, yeah, you're right. You know, playing like he did. Do you think that they're sitting there watching, you know, Ryan Tannehill beat the Patriots and thinking, you know, if we'd had that guy beat before, we would have beaten the Patriots too? Um <laughs> You know, I mean, so here they are in a position again when they had a chance to take a guy who looks like he's turning into a franchise quarterback, and now they're 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 pinning their hopes on somebody in this year's draft. So, you know, it doesn't matter if whoever they draft this year becomes necessarily better than Ryan Tannehill. It matters that they had a chance to take a guy, and they didn't. And so they went with, you know, someone else now it's coming back to buy them. Uh, Armando put out uh, – um one of his uh, blog-type things about, I don't know if this is within the hour, um, confirming that what the Browns are saying, that Farmer's not going to interview a second time. And Armando's upset. <laughs> he sounds upset. I mean, I'm reading through this thing right now, and it's it's animated even for him. And, I mean, like, and he definitely lets it rip a, a little bit at times. So I'm reading through this thing now. But I can't help but, but look through this stuff and think that the Cleveland looked at Farmer and thought, why are we letting someone, this supposedly a, a rising star, someone so talented, get away? So I'm not really sure. I mean, they got a new coach coming in. Um, they, I mean, they have talent on both sides of the ball, no doubt about that. They're a quarterback uh, they away. To, yeah, they need to, they're a quarterback away. We'll see, we'll see what they do to ensure that they get that guy. And, I mean, speaking of, of rumors blowing, blowing around, uh, you're seeing stuff that Teddy Bridgewater isn't going to be a top ten pick, which I'm sure Minnesota would like sitting at number eight because they'll guarantee that they'll get a crack at that guy. Because I guarantee you, Minnesota will take Teddy Bridgewater. Or <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, I'm seeing that Blake Bortles could be the number one pick. Uh, that all that stuff is moot because there's no way Jadavian Clowney doesn't go number one. Uh, they need a quarterback. We'll see if they get it. The interesting thing is the last time we were, like when we were going through the whole head coach uh, search process two years ago, uh, a lot of people hammered us on the fact that we didn't have a quarterback. Like we didn't have a quarterback in place. It wasn't an attractive destination. Nobody wants to work with a bunch of also-ran, so on and so forth. And now that we have a quarterback in there, uh, a new offensive coordinator, plenty of talent on both sides of the ball, you'd think like this would be a more attractive destination. So I'm interested to, when everything's said and done, find out what really was going down with all of this. Because one thing to keep in mind is this would have been, what, Farmer's second interview? I, I believe. I think Unless we've already. It was a two-day first interview, so you would think it's like a third interview because the two-day interview is like one and two, don't you think? Yeah. And we've interviewed, have we interviewed Blake Dawson twice? I want to say, like, I saw something that we'd be doing a third interview with him. So yeah, there's nothing to, to say. Yeah, it's something where all the – you haven't heard the Dolphins come out and say that this is their guy. You, I mean, 
you had a bunch of people earlier this week in, in the Browns organization saying they thought Farmer was going to take that job. And you had a bunch of people in the NFL media saying that Farmer was absolutely going to take that job. He was going to be in their their final group for candidates and, and, and whatnot. But we don't know how serious the Dolphins were about Farmer. And this is just like the other day when Jason Light was hired and everyone was like, oh, the Dolphins tried to hire him out because he was the Dolphins' number one pick. You don't know that. I don't know that. I mean, he could have been. Farmer could have been the number one guy. They could have been 1A and 1B for all, you know. But I'm not getting upset right now because I don't know what's going on. And is it a little bit embarrassing? Yes. I resent the fact that the media gets to prey on us for a little while while you've got plenty of other stuff going on. Nobody mentions the fact that Detroit got spurned royally twice within the span of a week with Wizen Hunt, uh, giving them the Bo Jackson treatment, and then laser skipping town so he could take our, our gig. No one's beating up the Lions right now, though. And, I mean, it's it's unbelievable. It's embarrassing in that it seems like there's nothing else going I just wish uh, Justin, you know, even the Justin Beaver arrest wasn't enough to get this story off of our back this week. But I would just I would reserve any judgment, anger, and there's a lot of anger going on, on Twitter, as, as you guys have seen. I would reserve all that right now just until we have a finite sense of what is going on here. Because I don't know, are, are we really screwing it up this bad with our interviews? Maybe. Is, I mean, is Stephen Ross really that embarrassing in interviews? Perhaps. I struggle to imagine how someone could be that successful and yet come across as such a bumbling idiot during the interview process, considering how he's probably had to do that millions of times, but stranger things have happened. So I would reserve judgment for the time being, and I would also want to bring up one more time that uh, we are taking calls. we got about, I think, 40 minutes left in, in uh, tonight's Insider Radio, 347-326-9461. General Manager topic has been a popular one tonight, and with good reason. No one seems to know what's going on. There's a lot of anger, a lot of resentment, a lot of everything, which is never a good thing. Let me interject so, real quick. Yeah, go ahead. Um, you You are right. Something is going on, we you and we don't know. But you got to think about this: if there is something going on, are are we ever really gonna know? Because if if Ross is this bad, or if the dysfunction is this bad, or if Aponte is this, or if Philbin is that, we're never really gonna know. They're not gonna let that out because if they did let that out, then that would give them a legitimate. That would give fans a legitimate reason to actually be upset because it's like, aha, now we have proof. They're not going to let something like that out. Well, suppose we hire Brian Gaines. Okay. After this weekend, suppose Monday comes around, we hire Brian Gaines. Okay. You can, you can probably assume that something went on in the fact that how many people did we end up interviewing? I have a list. There's a list here by Ad, from Adam Beasley of the Herald. We have it's, a list of people to say thanks, but no thanks to the Dolphins includes Eric DaCosta, Tom Gamble, George Patton, Scott McLaughlin, now Ray Farmer, Mark Ross. Jason Lick took the Buccaneers job instead. That's at that's eight people who have said, no thanks, we don't want your job. Okay, so if Gain is in there, the guy who's been in-house the entire time, we can probably look back and say, mm, that interview process really didn't go the way that we would have liked. And we perhaps missed out on some qualified guys as a result. Now, we don't. that's not to say that Brian Gain isn't qualified. I, I don't know on... I really don't know. I, I hear the the number one thing I hear from people about Brian Gaines is that he was the guy who pursued 
going after Cameron Wake when Cameron Wake was in the CFL. I've seen that a lot. I don't know how valid that is, but if it's true, that's great. But if so, if Gain is in there, and after we, I believe we've reached out reportedly, allegedly, whatever, to close to eleven people. So if we take Gain, then yeah, maybe something didn't work out. Now if it's Lake Dawson. And it was purely we were just trying to de- get to that final interview thing because I mean Lake Dawson's been in there the whole time. That's something people need to understand that Lake Dawson wasn't tossed aside and then brought back after Ray Farmer uh, said thanks but no thanks after after his first interview. I mean Lake Dawson's been in there the whole time. It's just that his name has kind of gotten lost in the mix because people have been Ray Farmer this, Ray Farmer that, Brian Sanders this, uh, so on and so forth. Okay, so let me ask you this. What what credentials has there been said about Lake Dawson? What makes him a viable candidate? What has he done? I, you could say the same thing about Ray Farmer. I mean, you had people poking holes in Ray Farmer's deal because they said that he never ran a draft. You, well, you had yeah. people say that he was never the guy who was in charge of what was going on. I mean, you had all these people talking about how he was uh, a head guy in terms of uh, evaluating uh, – and managing personnel on a roster, but then these people would turn around and say, "Yeah, but he's never he's never done the draft himself." There are a lot of well-known, uh, I guess you'd say, Dolphins media people on Facebook who are bringing out that charge. I mean, the thing is, I mean, if they li- if they like Lake Dawson, that's fine. I mean, you would look at him because I believe his most current title is he was I think he was VP of Football Operations for ten for the Titans, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. So you look at what they've done recently, um, aside from the fact that uh, their quarterback went, I mean, you would, and I would both admit that the Titans looked pretty good this year before Locker went down. There was a time where we, we thought we could pencil those guys into a playoff spot. I mean, they were getting it done. I mean, and they've dealt with uh, Chris Johnson showing up, not showing up. You never know how good that guy's going to play. Uh, all of Kenny Britt's legal issues, which have been a mess. Uh, but, I mean, they've got some significant pieces on defense. And I've, for the most part, I've been impressed by the Titans. So I don't know how much you would attribute to Lake Dawson, but he's not coming from a team that has gotten it wrong in terms of personnel as of late. Yeah, I know. I'm just I'm looking. I'm not looking for what he hasn't done. I'm looking for something positive I can grab onto and think, okay, maybe this guy can do it. I'm looking for what has he been rumored that he has done. I'm not looking for what he hasn't he done. I get that. You want to hang your hat on something, but what what can you hang your hat on in terms of Ray Farmer? I, I really don't what, know. I, I I ask you that. <laughs> I mean, you could. I mean, really, this stuff comes out, and I mean, we hear that he's just he's a guy. He's fantastic in terms of working with evaluating personnel, but and then that's a, a yeah, but he hasn't been he hasn't been the point man in a draft. Uh, the, the, I mean, this isn't any, really anything different than with Xanders. All the, the big thing that came out about Xanders was that he was clo- uh, closely in the mix in Denver and then Detroit with some very impressive draft classes. I mean, ultimately, I think when he was in Denver, Josh McDaniels or Josh Mishandles, whatever you want to call him, I believe had final state over personnel. But you look at, like, that 2010 draft and who Denver was able to land, I mean, getting Eric Decker that late. 
I mean, yeah, that's the Tebow draft. If, if you can, if you can call your nausea from that. I mean, he also landed Demarius Thomas. I think Zane Beatles was a, a, a round two pick. I think they landed J.D. Walton. Those guys are all, all big time contributors. So, and then you look at what and Detroit's draft last year was outstanding. I mean, that's one of the better drafts they've had in a while, aside from their no-brainer picks where, you know, they have, like, a Dominican Sue staring at them in the face or, you know, Nick Fairley falls to him. But, I mean, that, how much did Brian Sanders have to do with those drafts? We don't know unless we're, we are able to sit down with the people who were in the war rooms with those guys. So it's always a risk. I mean, there's we're not picking up any sort of whiz kid here. But, I mean, you can't sit there and say, like, Lake Dawson – uh, is a less qualified candidate than Ray Farmer because then it's like, well, what has Ray Farmer done that Lake Dawson hasn't? And then no one will be able to tell you because these guys all have these similar titles of a VP of football operations or head of player personnel or uh, general manager who defers to the head coach, whatever. They've all held different titles, but I don't know what you can hang your hat on. The unfortunate part. There's no, there's no um, like a Bill Lazor, like he was involved with the Nick Foles thing. There's no, there's no like, oh, he was in, he, he was involved in this. There's not even a rumor like with Brian Game and the Cameron Wake thing. At least that's something. Exactly. That's an awesome point. Of all the offensive coordinators who uh, were available, that you have to say that I thought Lazor was the best candidate, and part of that is. Look at his track record with Philadelphia. Takes Nick Foles, uh, who wasn't expected to be that good, and the guy just put out borderline video game numbers this year. And a lot of people will attribute that to Chip Kelly because he, I mean, he's got a very quarterback-friendly system. Um, a lot of you know a really fast-paced, quick-hitting, you know, just constantly pushing the envelope that type of system. But I mean, you look at. Bill Lazor and compare what he did there. And, I mean, for the University of Virginia, I think their offense went from lowly ranked to very highly ranked uh, within his first year there, if I'm not mistaken, first year or second year there, uh, as opposed to Kyle Shanahan, whom everyone was looking at as the, the RG3 saboteur, or Ben McAdoo, who had a pretty prestigious title with Packers quarterback coach, and then it comes out that, I mean, he was a tight end coach when – Aaron Rodgers was coming to, you know, really rounding into form. You know, Ben McAdoo didn't have anything to do with that. So we, we managed to get the OC, who was the guy, in my opinion, and the best fit for us, given our situation with our quarterback. So, I mean, it, it's not as transparent with the general manager thing because, I mean, there's always a lot of cooks in the kitchen with this. Everyone's always putting in their ideas and whatnot. Ultimately, and to that point, is coaches always have that track record. I mean, you can always look at what a coach has done, unless I mean they're just an obscure guy out of nowhere. I mean, you you can see what a coach has done before with front office stuff. It's not easy for fans to see what front office people do. I mean, we can see an offensive coordinator at, at a college like Laser do his thing there. We can see what he does as a quarterback coach you know, in Philadelphia. You can't see what these general managers do. We're we're not there because they are by nature behind the scenes guys. I mean, they are they do things, you know, that aren't seen. We can't you know, we're not there in meetings. We're not there in interviews. We don't know what you know we don't know what what is said when the free agent and you know, when the agent calls up 
you know, say, hey, my, my player wants to play for your team, you know, that kind of stuff. We don't see who's in, all involved with that. We don't we, – we see kind of what happens with Hard Knocks. I mean, one thing that we saw with Hard Knocks is that Jeff Allen was sitting behind the desk while Donald Ponte was the one running the, running the point getting Ryan Tannehill signed. So, I mean, how do we know any of these guys what they're doing? How do we know how much impact they have? We really can't. And the only way, unfortunately, to find that out is to put them in the position and let them do it. So unless they were a previous GM somewhere else, we're really not going to have an idea of any of the candidates or what, how successful they're going to be as a general manager until they actually do it. I think right now it's important to keep in mind that we don't know what we just lost out on in Ray Farmer if we lost out on anything. You'll hear a lot of people say that we did, but people are treating it like we just through the, the Golden Wonka ticket out the window. I mean, we have no idea. I mean, it's not like we, people make it seem like that guy was going to come in and just zero in on the best players in this draft. And we, I mean, that's it's a lot of speculation and could end up in hindsight. He could be a, an absolute stud for uh, uh, getting it done for, for Cleveland. We don't know. But, I mean, if it turns out Lake Dawson, I mean, I'm not going to treat it like we missed out on anything because I'm I'm not sure. I'm not in on these these talks. You know, maybe we missed out on something with Brian Sanders. No, no yeah, one seems I to mean, be talking about that. And we and we don't know, we won't know what we missed out on until, until years from now. We really don't. I mean, because, you know, for all we know, the guy we hire is going to be the great, the, the greatest higher that we could have had. I mean, we we just you can't see until until the until later in the future. So I mean, we kind of there's no point in kind of fretting about it right now. And I think some of that comes it's kind of like the 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 spurned lover syndrome kind of thing where and it's not just the Miami fan base, it's a, every fan base everywhere for any any team is that you think that your team's the best and that everyone should be, you know, falling over themselves trying to get it, it, to be a part of your organization, you know, uh, you're so. What if you're the general manager for some other team? You can come be our cowboy because we're the Dolphins and we're the greatest ever. And when someone turns us down, like how can they turn this down? Oh, we're bad, we're terrible, we suck because somebody just turned us down. And I think that's all what's happening right now because I don't think you know unless there's just somebody out there who's completely in the know that, that can tell us that yeah, Ray Farmer was the guy you wanted. Then it's basically just. The idea that we there was somebody that we wanted and we didn't get, and now we're upset about it. So, I, honestly, I think that's what it is at this point. That's why you're seeing all this animosity and crap on Twitter. Just you know, let us let it play out and let who let who's going to you know get hired get hired, and then let's see what he does. I mean, the worst thing that can happen is we lose games and have to hire somebody else again. So I mean. I mean, I know that sounds kind of bad, and we don't want that, but, you know, there's nothing I get where you guys are coming from. Yeah, I get where you guys are coming from. Is But I, to be totally fair to the fans out there, it's, you, 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 can, you can understand where that attitude is coming from because we've been burned so many times just letting people go. You look at Wes Welker, uh, maybe Vontae Davis going to Indy and suddenly becoming good again or Reggie Bush in Detroit becoming the superstar he never could for us. It's it's all over the place. 
like, here's what we missed out on. We missed out on Drew Brees. We missed out on this. We missed out on that. It's very hard to, like, oh, my gosh, we missed out again. But, and, and, you know, I, I understand that, too. But there are several – there are plenty of other fan bases that have the same thing. I mean, look at look at the Cowboys, for instance. I mean, look at that team of how they've been dealt yep. with all the players and all the talents that they have. I mean, you, you would look at them on paper. I mean, all right, if that was a Madden team – there's no way they don't score 70, under 70 every game. I mean, they're just so talented, it looks like. And yet they're constantly 8-8. Eight and eight. I think of what the last 10 years, they actually have a 500 record for the last 10 years or so. I mean, just a, a basically they're mediocre across the board. And so, you know, you, you hear about, you know, I, I'm sure things happen like that for that fan base, but because we're not fans of that team, we don't really care. It's just what we see here. So, Really, honestly, the only thing that's going to change anything is winning. And, you know, I believe, I thought this year would have been a year we could have won. Um, uh, my expectations were 10 wins, so I was disappointed. But, you know, I think we've got enough talent on the team right now that we can win those games. I mean, you look at the, and look at the Carolina Panthers as well. I mean, um, I, I live here in North Carolina, so I see all the stuff with the Panthers. And, you know, two weeks into this past season – Teams were ready to um, they were ready to run Ron Rivera out of town. It's terrible. This new GM they didn't they didn't think he was that great. Blah blah blah. They go on a win streak, get the number two seed, and suddenly everything's great. And you look, they had the number one overall pick in 2011 to Cam Newton, and yeah, he had some great had some great yardage, had some great numbers. Didn't win any games. They won well. They went like five and eleven or six and ten his rookie year, and then seven and nine. And there's still people around here who, who don't like Cam Newton. I see, you know, I've got friends on Facebook that, you know, they're Panthers fans and they don't like Cam Newton. So it's kind of the same thing here. But then, you know, in the third year, things turned around for them. So who's to say that can't happen here? And you're talking about, yeah, I mean, the Panthers had some good teams in the past, but this is, for the most part, a team that's been relatively, you know, a non-exciting team. They have a few players here and there, but nothing that no one outside of North Carolina would get excited about. And suddenly now they have a good team that people are excited about. And who's to say that can't happen in 2014? So, you know, I kind of look at that as a situation that could happen here. That's a team that people are like, you know, oh, nothing good's going to happen to us, blah, 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 and then boom, it did. And now they're looking at, you know, possibly being, you know, a one of the better teams in the NFC next year. So, you know, you just can't – I hate to be like the you know the rainbow rainbows and unicorns kind of crowd, but that's kind of how you have to look at it. You know, it's like you know what we're we're it's a new year, new things are happening, and just because we didn't get one particular guy right now does not mean that 2014 is sunk. You know, it, you just you just kind of have to you have to get past in a way you just have to get past all that bad stuff that's happened. You know, yeah, Wes Welker went on and did some other things. Uh, you know, we we missed out on Drew Brees. Blah blah blah. You know what? That's the past. Can't change it. You know, don't don't let that kind of say, well, that happened. You know, that happened in the past. It's going to happen now. You just can't do that. You know, it just you can't do that in any aspect of life, and you certainly can't do it in football. There, I went philosophical on everyone. No, it was good. It was good. Uh, and he's right. I mean, hindsight is something where I mean, it, that goes for every team. I would bring up the thing. You know, you hear people talk about Drew Brees all the time. Drew Brees went to a team with we didn't have Tom Payton. We had Nick Saban. You think that. Drew Brees has any success under Nick Saban? Oh, no. uh, even a fraction, a fraction of the success that I mean, he's that he's had 
uh, with Sean Payton, I would say there's no way. I'd say that, I mean, and that's, yes, that's an organizational fault. comes down to the fact that we've, and think about all the head coaches we've had in the time that Drew Brees has been in New Orleans. It's a staggering amount. So, but I, I get everything. And, yeah, I'm not saying that everything's good right now. I'm saying that it's just don't put your head in the oven. <laughs> I mean, just kind of let it play out. You can be upset. This team upsets me weekly. There's stuff that I have a problem with. Players we've passed on, personnel moves that we've made, trades that we've made, uh, overall organizational decisions. I mean, there's a lot of stuff to get annoyed with when it comes to these guys. So but right now it's important to just kind of take a step back, uh, evaluate things, wait for it to play out. And if we take gain, if we end up going with gain, then the chances are then, yeah, um, things can go smoothly in the interview process, and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of weight in, in the comments coming out about the fact that uh, we've got the Keystone Cops interviewing these guys. So I don't know. I'm just I'm, maybe I'm just going into some some sort of uh, defense mode where I'm just preparing myself for the usual uh, embarrassment that comes every off season with these guys. I don't know. Or maybe I'm just wired to do that because these guys destroy me time and time again. That could be it too. No, I think you're. I think it'd be a wise precaution to prepare yourself. I, it's funny that Duke brought up the Cowboys because as soon as he said that, I was. I found myself thinking, "Yep, there it is again." I've compared as sad as sad as and horrible as it is. I have constantly lately been comparing the Dolphins to the Cowboys. We are the Cowboys of the AFC East. No matter what we do, we find up breaking the hearts of everybody around right at the end, right when it counts the most. That's just what the Cowboys do. They will find a way to break your heart. Well, maybe that's why we were taking so many ex-Cowboys at one point. I don't know. <laughs> well, that could be too. And I, I'm sure funnel, funneling those guys through didn't help our, our cause either. Uh, Luis, we're going to have to let you go. We've got about 20 minutes left in this show before we before we call it a night. Thanks for calling in and uh, chatting with us right. for a little while and telling yeah. us your thoughts. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. I'll All right, take care. I, I I await it. I can't wait. <laughs> See ya. Good night. All right. So for for these last twenty minutes, maybe move on to uh, greener pastures, perhaps. Uh, senior Bowl week winding down a little bit. I think the game's on Saturday. Uh, we talked about Zach Martin last night. Uh, we didn't really have to talk about the guy who's, in my opinion, done the most damage on the defensive side of the ball, and that would be uh, Pittsburgh's Aaron Donald. I don't know if you guys have had much of an opportunity to check out any of his tape, watch him play at Pitt. I mean, if you're anywhere near uh, Pittsburgh, you probably had a, a chance to see him go. Uh, unbelievable player. This week and this season, consistent. I mean, the, really the nice thing is that his tape all year long suggested that he was going to go to the Senior Bowl and light it up, and he's proceeded to do just that. He's gone down there, and, it, and it, at times he's just unblockable. And it's funny because, I mean, he's kind of a, a – he's got a unique body type for a defensive tackle. He's six foot even. He's about 285. So, I mean, he's he's shorter than your average defensive tackle prospect, and he's a little bit lighter than you'd like to see – for these three technique guys that come out, these penetrating defensive tackles. 
you'd like to see him more in the, the 290 to 300 range. So I, I don't know if you've had a chance to, to see Aaron Donald, uh, Duke, but the important thing about him is he raises up this dra- this defensive tackle class, and he's yet another first-round pick who might push a couple of guys our way. Because he could go as high as number 14 to Chicago, in my opinion. Chicago needs defensive tackles real bad. Um, and that's possible. I mean, it, you know, I mean, right now, it's kind of everything's kind of up in the air. And, you know, really the combine, in my opinion, the combine is kind of the I know it's not really for that the football teams involved, but in my opinion, the combine is kind of a wind down period of of fan scouting because we don't see the pro days and all of that stuff, so we don't really know. We just kind of have to, you know, wait it out. And this year, of course, it's going to be worse because they're they're making the draft, putting the draft in May, which is just I don't know. I think they did that to torture me, but anyway, they um they. You know, I think once we get to the once we get to the combine and see all the stuff there, I think we're going to kind of have a better. I mean, if you look at it from last year and years past, usually when you get to usually when you get to the combine, I mean, you can pretty much peg the first two rounds for the most part. I mean, yep, teams trade, and there's always that one crazy pick that no one sees coming. But you know, for the most part, I mean, I think we could we would have figured last year after the combine, Deion Jordan was a top five pick. I mean, I don't think anyone was surprised with that at all when, when we took him at three. Uh, I don't think anyone was surprised that DJ Fluker went number uh, 11 to San Diego. I mean, I think you kind of have it pegged. So I think once that once that whole the whole thing starts kind of winding down, we're going to see where guys are going to go, and that's going to give us a better idea of who will be available to us at 19. And given how the number 19 doesn't always seem to work well with Miami, it may be better if we trade out of that number. But, um, yeah, and, I, I mean, it, it all depends on our free agency, but he could be a guy that Miami might want to take. I mean, uh, I mean, let's not forget his chance to tackle. It's going to be a need uh, unless they can somehow, you know, uh, pinch a few more pennies and, and get Starks and Solari signed, and I don't think that they will get both. I think it will be one of the two possible neither get will get uh resigned, which that would be bad in my opinion. But you know, so defensive tackle may be a may be a big need. And I don't necessarily know that they would go first round with that, but whoever the GM is, he may be a best player available guy. And if Aaron Donald's there at nineteen and he thinks he's the best player available, you know, you take him. So um it's very possible that a defensive tackle could be probably taken the first round. And so I'm kind of looking at those guys too, and there's some and there's some guys out there. So, you know, the more he he was kind of a guy that I've read so far in some mocks that was kind of a late first, second round guy. So he's kind of pushing himself into the first round. And we saw that last year with guys like Desmond Trufant uh, and a couple of uh, other guys from the senior ball. I think uh, what was his name Robert Alford? Did he didn't he go in the second round? Uh, I can't remember, but he kind of. He kind of pushed himself up from like a no-name guy to a high-round pick and, and did well in Atlanta. So, you know, some of these guys get pushed up here in the senior bowl. So, uh, you know, it's uh, – and, of course, Lane Johnson and Eric Fisher are obvious choices too. So, 
uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how how the draft boards or the mock draft boards kind of fall after after this week and after the combine. So uh, I'm kind of you know when when I get a chance to I get I like to watch a little tape and then uh, kind of see what what the goes on there. And I, and I think one thing to watch you know if if you're if you're like Keith and I and, and you like to kind of watch the, the scouting aspect of it, kind of watch how to evaluate prospects. And not that we're like super great evaluators or anything, but, you know, it's kind of fun to, you know, you can kind of get into watching how uh, how you evaluate a defensive tackle or something like that. So that's what, to me, that's what's fun about watching the senior bowl stuff is kind of watching how these guys and who dominates and how these guys do. But um, so, yeah, I mean, to me, the one-on-one drills like that with, with the offensive and defensive line are very telling because um, while, you know, in, in the real game you're going to get double teamed at times, you can kind of kind of tell, especially from the offensive line perspective. If you're a if you're an interior offensive lineman and you get driven in the backfield time and time again, you're probably not going to be very good at the NFL level. You're just not, you know. Uh, you need to be able to stand guys up and, 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 and get some push on your own. So uh, when you see it, same thing goes with the defensive tackle. If, he, if he's – getting that kind of penetration and just owning players all the time, and chances are he's probably going to be able to do that at the NFL level, and, and at least to the point where he's, you know, warranting some, some double teams. So uh, I like to see that. And, I, and I've actually seen some mock drafts with Donald being, being Miami's pick, at least in the second round. So um, that would be pretty interesting. I don't know. I've rambled a while. Sorry. No, no, no. I'd, I'd say that I mean, the important thing right now is that uh, we've got options. It seems like every day we've got more and more options coming up at number 19. And we're not, you know, if if worst comes to worst and we don't like the offensive tackles available, I mean, we can we can take one of these defensive tackles or we can go ahead. It could be a big shot. DC available. Maybe we like the tight ends available. Maybe, maybe Marquise Lee is there and we decide to, and the new GM decides he's a guy who wants to take Archie Lee. I mean, yeah, and I think that's that's something that, as a Dolphins fan, you know, we're kind of looking at it as, you know, I mean, most coaches or most the evaluators at the NFL level tell you that the worst way to draft is to draft by need. But anyone who doesn't want draft drafts by need. You never see someone say, well, Miami's going to take a defensive end wherever they're picking because that's the best player available at the position because, oh, well, they drafted Deion Jordan and they had a good year and they've got Cameron Lake. They don't get another one. You know, so you, you kind of see that with the mock drafts. But really, in my opinion, every position aside from quarterback is pretty much up in the air this year. I mean – you know, we I've talked about it on the site before, and even you and I talked about it. It's like, what player would you not want to see drafted when Miami picks in 19? And aside from a quarterback, I wouldn't have a problem. You know, maybe not a running back. I don't necessarily care for that. But every other position, I mean, seriously, what 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 position out there, if we drafted in 19, would just be, oh, that's the worst thing ever. You can't say that because – Number one, they either fit a need like offensive tackle, offensive guard, or it's just, you know, an upgrade like a receiver or tight end or something like that. So, you know, I, I think we're yeah. 
in, in a good good shape. Um, he just you know kind of either feel a need or load up or both. I'm excited to see how it how it comes about, especially after we go through the combine next month and we can get a better look at some of these guys. We're we're obviously had to trot about a few of these offensive tackles. Uh, we we talked about Zach Martin quite a bit. I think Morgan Moses is still a guy to consider. Uh, some good cards available too. Uh, but I mean, like for instance, suppose we go with Lake Dawson. And the funny thing about Lake Dawson is I remember when he was drafted, and it makes me feel pretty old because I remember when he played in college. So he was a wide receiver. So maybe he's he's got an eye for receivers. And Marquise Lee falls to us, and he's like, yep, that's our guy. I'm going with him. I mean, strange stuff like that can happen. So, Which we're obviously not used to because we've had a pretty, uh, I would say, a regime that's almost uh, has an aversion to taking receivers early. So, I mean, it'll be new. It'll be a new experience regardless of who's in there. Um we're coming yeah, off. There's something, there's something else that, that uh, about kind of the way the new NFLs work is, and I think I've mentioned this before uh, on previous podcasts, but I read this a couple of years ago, and I kind of agree with it to a system that there is going to be a. There used to be kind of a tiered system in the NFL. There was the elite players that you spend most of your cap paying. Then you have kind of a mid-level guys, kind of your. Average, they're starters, but maybe not Pro Bowl caliber. We're just guys you can count on to be starters, but nothing great. And then you have your filler. And what this, the guy said was because of the new draft structure and the pay scale, that that kind of middle class is kind of going away. For now, teams are paying a high dollar for either like five to eight positions on the team, and they're using you know low or cheap talent to fill the rest of the spot. And that's where the draft comes in. Because now, you know, when let's say Miami had drafted Des Bryant, he's going to cost a lot of money because he was in a draft that, you know, we have taken him at 12, and he would have been making, you know, a very high salary for a wide receiver being a rookie. Whereas now, you take a guy, say we take Marquis Lee at 19, he's going to be cheap for his entire contract. Uh, Mike Wallace and Brian Hartline, as much as we might like them, are not going to be cheap throughout their contract. So, you know, the, the next GM may be like, you know what, you know, you have to start drafting. You almost kind of have to start drafting replacements for certain positions. Now, if you find the next Calvin Johnson or whatever, or the next elite player at a position, you know, you can you can hang on to that guy. But you can kind of see a structure now where most teams are going to be going with Pay if you've got a franchise quarterback. Pay that guy a lot of money. Pay uh, your top three or four, five playmakers, uh, or top players, a bunch of money, and then you're going to be drafting replacements every four years. So it would not be surprising to me to see teams, including Miami, draft a receiver, say draft a receiver in the first round this year, and then do the same thing four years from now to replace that same guy, unless he turns out to be really good, just because that's how the salary structure is. So. You know, while we, while, and I've mentioned this before, while it's not necessarily a need to replace the receiver right now, and I wouldn't put it necessarily a high priority on it because I think we've got some good receivers. But, you know, the 
that's not saying that they won't go out and say, you know, well, I, you know, Mike Wallace, you've got one more year with us, and then we're going to be looking to deal you. Same thing with Hardline. We're going to be replacing you with a guy like Marquise Lee, who's probably just as good, uh, but he's making a whole lot less. So, yeah, you know, that, that's something to think about when you're when you're looking at the draft. Is you know, are we drafting players that are um, just to upgrade, or are we looking at future? replacements for guys that we already have uh, at certain positions. Uh, I totally agree. And we're coming up on the end of the show, so I don't know if there's anything else you want to get out there, any sort of hidden rant or anything you got going on. Uh, I'm pretty tapped out. We had some pretty good discussion regarding the, the ongoing GM situation or upcoming GM crisis, depending on how you look at it. Uh, but, I mean, that's it. Uh, I, f- I feel good about everything else. We'll just have to see how this shapes up. So um, unless you've got uh, anything else you'd like to get out there, we can go ahead and uh, uh, call it a night. Uh, I can't think of anything right now, but I'm sure I will after the show. <laughs> well, uh, in the meantime, uh, I'm Keith. Uh, he's Chris. Uh, we do this every Thursday night. Our producer is James. Uh, the guy behind the curtain. It's almost like a sort of Wizard of Oz thing going on. So thanks for uh, to everyone who called in tonight. We appreciate your, your comments, uh, your suggestions, and the topics you brought to the table. And we'll do this again next week. So good night from the Finsider. Good night. Hi, I'm Mark from Marinda Safeway. We offer great savings on groceries, but did you know we also offer savings at the pump? Earn 10 cents off per gallon when you spend $100 at Safeway stores. Enter your phone number or swipe your club card at the register and earn points. Redeem your rewards at participating Chevron, Texaco, and Safeway gas stations. Maximum gas reward at participating Chevron or Texaco stations is 20 cents per gallon and $1 per gallon at Safeway stations in a single fill-up, up to 25 gallons. Other restrictions and exclusions apply. See complete details at Safeway.com forward slash reward. This is Mark from Marinda Safeway, and we'll see you soon. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.